morning, church family. It is a joy to see you today in the room and online. And I think I know why you came. I think you came to praise the Lord. So let's do that together. Would you stand as we sing Immortal, Invisible, God, Only Wise? Sing it out.
church, isn't it wonderful that we live in a country that we have the freedom that we can magnify our God in song, and now we can magnify him by stating what we believe with our faith in Jesus Christ and God. So will you join me with the Apostles' Creed now? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. take a moment to turn to someone on your pew or nearby and say good morning. Good morning. Good, 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 good. Boy, am I getting lucky this morning. Nine o'clock and now 1045. I didn't even have to ask you to sit down. Look at y'all. Is that not precious? It's precious. Well, good morning, church. My name is Faith Stevens. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and we are so glad to be back with you today, and I need to take a moment to say hello and good morning to our online worshipers. Many of you online are worshiping from your home, and we are so glad that you're with us. I have a few announcements for us this morning. First, listen up, all men, all men of all ages. We are inviting you to join us at Mount Horeb's annual men's ministry oyster roast. Whoo! That's a mouthful. And speaking of a mouthful, it's going to be February 23rd, this Friday, from 5.30 to 8, and there will be plenty of food. Shucking of oysters, southern, southern food, the hearing from our special guest, Chad Wright. Now, Chad is a distinguished former Navy SEAL. He brings a wealth of experience to us and leadership for our community here at Mount Horeb. Following his service in the military, Chad transitioned to a civilian life with a mission to share the lessons that he learned on the battlefield. 
He's a sought-after speaker, author, mentor, and he dedicates his time to inspire others to embrace the fullness of God in the mission that we call life. He has a powerful message you don't want to miss. So it will be a great evening of low country fun, good company, and encouragement. And you can register now at mounthorpchurch.org slash adults. And next Sunday, I'm so excited to share that we're going to have another one of those old-fashioned hymn sings right here in the sanctuary. That's next Sunday at 6 p.m. For those who are unfamiliar for what our hymn sing is, we, we go back to old school, if you will. You take your hymnal out of the pew in front of you, open it up. We have a piano player, and then you raise your hand and call out one of your favorite old hymns, and we all sing it together. It's so much fun. A great night of worship for the whole family. You don't want to miss it. And then we're excited to announce that our final concert of the 2023-24 Concerts at Mount Horeb season will be with the Hoppers. The Hoppers are a family ensemble, and they've been performing together over 60 years. They've appeared at inaugural celebrations and ceremonies. They've won multiple awards for mixed vocal group by the Southern Gospel Music Association. And they have a unique blend of harmonies and um, song choices, and they've created a great legacy of musical excellence. So join us, and the date is April the 28th at 7 p.m. for a great night of worship, and tickets are on sale right now at mounthorbchurch.org concerts. So would you stand with me as we continue to worship together? Seek first his kingdom. Let's sing together. Seek
And now we have the privilege to turn our spiritual eyes toward Jesus as we come together as God's church together in corporate prayer today. I would remind us that in addition to the prayers that are listed in our bulletins, we have some that have been added to the screens this week. So I ask you not only to pray through those today, but pray through those throughout this next week. Prayer avails much. Whether you use your pew as your altar or whether you come to the altar here and kneel and pray, God meets you where you are. And if you would like to come forward and have someone to pray with you, just raise your hand here at the altar and we have folks that will come alongside you there. Let's center ourselves now and go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we know the scripture from Matthew tells us, from you, to put your kingdom first, to do what you are calling us to do. Then all things will also be given to us. So with that, Lord, we come before you this morning as we continue to navigate our Lenten journey. And as we do, we turn in prayer to you, asking you to help us as we strive to be a sign of your light and your goodness in a broken and dark world around us. Yes, you want us to be a lighthouse, a beacon, if you will, to all people that we encounter. Forgive us, Lord, when we fail to represent you to others. Lord, we pray this morning for leaders everywhere, our national leaders, our world leaders, our local leaders. We would pray, Lord, that they would fall on their knees and that they would pray to you for guidance in their leadership and in the path that you've set forth for them. And Lord, we know that you are a healing God. Sometimes you heal instantly. We see it through miracles, sometimes gradually. But we also know that you ultimately heal when our life is complete here and you call us to yourself. For those of us that know you as our Savior, we live in that promise from you. So today we pray, Lord, 
for all who are suffering in any way, by any physical illness, by any brokenness of any kind. And yes, Lord, for those that are grieving the loss of a loved one, place your touch of healing on all those we name in our hearts that are listed in our bulletin and on our screens. We need your touch, and we thank you for it, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, open uh, the hearts of all of us gathered here in the sanctuary, over in the auditorium, and around this campus to hear from you through music, through prayers, through Bible studies, and through the message that we will hear this morning. Pour out an extra portion of your Holy Spirit on Pastor Jeff here in the sanctuary and Pastor Trevor in the auditorium so that the words they speak to all of us will come straight from you through them. And Lord, open our hearts, our spirits, our souls to hear their words and make it take root in our hearts so that we will leave this place transformed, moving on the path that you've set forth for each of us. Open our eyes and our ears as never before. And we ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer that we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Today you may notice on the pew in front of you a little card like this. And we really do want to know every single week that you are here. So we ask you every week to fill this out, if you will, and either drop it in the offering plate or in the uh, little receptacles that are outside the sanctuary as you leave, or you can scan the QR code uh, that's up here on the card and fill that out. If this is your first Sunday here, we ask you to fill this out and actually take it to my right, just outside the sanctuary, to our guest services desk. There's some great people there that would love to meet you, and they have a special gift for you this day, for this being your first time here. Church, you continue to make a huge impact on the lives of people both locally as well as internationally with your prayers, with your finances, and you'll see on the screen several ways that you can give your offering here at Mount Horeb to further God's kingdom. We also have those drop boxes for you as you leave the sanctuary today. I invite our ushers to come forward to receive our morning offering, and when I, while I do, I do want to announce that we are so happy and blessed that Grace Marie Ward who is the director of our worship arts here at Mount Horeb, is going to join our choir and our orchestra as they sing and play a special piece of music 
entitled Jerusalem.
Well, good morning, church. I have an understanding with Grace Marie that uh, uh, I will teach her how to preach if she will teach me how to sing. And uh, she's got a much harder job than I've got, that's for sure. And uh, do you want to go to Jerusalem? Now, you don't seem too excited about that. I'm not talking about to the Middle East. I'm talking about to heaven, right? Anybody want to go to heaven? Well, we're going to talk about how to get there today because there is one door and one way to heaven. How many of you remember the television game show that had doors? What's the name of it? Let's make a deal, right? Let's see what's behind door number one. Do I play it safe <clears throat> or go for door number two? Uh, that, that show was on TV for 45 years. So we were always inquisitive about what's behind the next door. And today we're going to talk about doors. In fact, 
Jesus Christ made the bodacious claim that he was the only door. Now, you know, as well as I know, the devil is always offering a better deal behind a, quote, better door. But we're here to talk about the door whose name is Jesus. Now, in this sermon series, we're talking about the seven I am statements of Jesus. Today, we're talking about his clear statement that I am the door. You know, in Exodus 3, at a place called Mount Horeb, the site of the burning bush, God reveals himself to Moses and declares, I am who I am. The great I am reveals himself to Moses and says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard the prayers of my people for deliverance from suffering and slavery. And the I am makes an ultimate statement that he is sufficient and that he is eternal and he has a plan. Now here in John's gospel, John declares that Jesus is the eternal I am, now walking in human flesh on the earth. There's an interesting passage in uh, John 8, 58, uh, reading from the paraphrased message. Believe me, said Jesus, I am who I am long before Abraham was anything. I am who I am long before Abraham was anything. What is Jesus saying? He's making the bold claim that he is God in the flesh, God incarnate. I am who I am. And throughout John's gospel, Jesus makes seven very bold I am statements. And last week, Dr. Bill Balknight in here and Dr. Bill Jones, the president of CIU, preached on Jesus' declaration that I am the bread of life. I love how Dr. Jones began his message in the auditorium. He began at the end of John's gospel, and I want to just share that since most of you were in here and maybe didn't hear Dr. Jones. But in chapter 20 of John's gospel, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. And Dr. Jones said there's two great purposes of John's gospel. The purposes of these I am statements is one, that we might believe Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, the I am. And secondly, that we might have life abundant, and that's sort of the topic I'm going to go down and follow today. And not just life abundant, but life eternal. Through the power of his name, through the power of his door, through the power of his way. Today we're at a little bit of a disadvantage because Jesus is going to use some metaphors in his message, uh, words from John 10. Metaphors are common examples to convey uncommon, transcendent truth that we might believe in him. So if you're able, let's get started. And if you could stand for the reading of God's word, reading from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, reading from the English Standard Version. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. 
To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Our gracious God, we thank you that your word is before us. The words of Jesus, who is the great I am. And Lord, help me to speak uh, his words, clarify his words. But Lord, you take these words through the power of your Holy Spirit and convince your sheep, your people, that you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life, the source of life. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So our first major point today is Jesus is the door. He is the only way in. He is the door. Now, most of us have never seen a sheepfold. We might better understand a corral. But here's what a picture of a sheepfold might have looked like. It's a, a place where sheep can be collected. Uh, it's an open area surrounded by stone walls or branches, 8 to 10 feet tall. Oftentimes there would be thorns placed around the top. Uh, a sheepfold was a place of protection. It was a place of provision. It was a safe place on the way to somewhere else. Now, I believe for Jesus' listeners, the sheepfold was, was Judaism. It was, it was the local synagogue. It's where people went to, to learn about God. And, and as Jesus is speaking to these Jewish followers, they believe that he now is the good shepherd, that he is the long-awaited Messiah. They recognize his voice and now follow him as their shepherd. Now, I'm not going to get a lot into the shepherd motif because that's another sermon on another Sunday where Jesus says, I am the shepherd. But today, for us, the sheepfold, where Jesus is the door, for us, it would be the church. It would be the church, the body of Christ all over the world. It would be this church. The, the sheepfold could be your accountability group. It could be your Sunday school class. It could be your small group. It could be your Bible study. But, folks, we need a place where we're listening to the words of Jesus. We need a place where we are protected. It's a place where we hear the shepherd's voice and we are known by him. It's a place of relationship with the shepherd and the sheep. It's a place of freedom, a place we can come and go. It's a place to rest and be safe from the dangers of the world. There are times that we need to come into God's house among other believers just to, just to rest from the craziness of this world, to come and, and, and feel secure in God's presence. Now, let's be clear that this sheepfold is not a permanent place, but it's a place that prepares us to go into the world but not be of the world. 
we're not supposed to hang out here. We're supposed to come here for a perspective. You know, I was uh, texting someone yesterday who is in the middle of an uh, intense time, and I sensed that they were experiencing some frustration and some fatigue and some fraying of the, of the, around the, the nerves. And so the Lord laid on my heart to send them a text about there's a time to go and just be with the Lord. Just be still before the Lord. Just to listen to his voice and, 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 and to get perspective and, and, and to find provision and, and, and to find some peace. And, and, and we get that when we come into the presence of the Lord, come into his fold. And, and I, I shared that this in the, earlier in the sermon, or the morning sermon, and, and I received a text from that person about right in the middle of my sermon that said, I took your advice. I got some time alone with the Lord and, 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 and began to count my blessings and began to uh, remember all the times he was faithful to me and has led me through difficult times. You see, that's what it means to come into the sheepfold and, and, and to receive the provision from God that he wants to give us. We get so crazy in the world and, we, and we're, we're being hounded by the thieves and the robbers and the evil one. We just need to get away. And you're here today to get away into God's presence, into God's place here. You know, the, um, Jesus says, I am the door. And, 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 and the image of that in, in, the, in the New Testament world, in the Old Testament world, is there would be an opening where the, the sheep would go into the fold and the shepherd would lay across the fold, literally be a physical door uh, where... Uh, thieves and robbers would not break in. I don't know about you, but our house has three doors. Uh, a front door, a back door, and a garage door. And, and, and typically, you know, we, we probably use the garage door more than we use the front door or the back door. Uh, but we have many, three doors into our house, and maybe you have more than that. Uh, there, there are those who today, who today will argue that there are many doors to God. That Jesus is not the only way to God. In fact, the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life published a major study on religious affiliation, beliefs, and practice in the United States. And one of the significant findings was that 70% of all Americans believe many religions can lead to eternal life, including 65% of self-identifying Christians. And perhaps the most surprising finding of the study was that 56% of all evangelical Christians believe that there are many paths other than the path of Christ to find eternal life. Now, I find that shocking. Uh, it, the, the perspective that there are many ways to God is, is essentially universalism, a belief that all humans will be embraced by God and experience eternal life. We also call that theological pluralism, where we have a multiple of beliefs, uh, and all things kind of go. Now, Jesus didn't make that claim. He, he made a pretty exclusive claim. He taught that he was the only way to enter into a personal relationship with God. He, he made direct claims about himself, uh, and he clearly openly stated his identity and position on that. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, Nicodemus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, 
and no one can come to the Father except through me. One way. Peter, one of Jesus' most faithful disciples, wrote these words or spoke these words. Acts, Luke recorded them in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 4. For Jesus is the one referred to in the Scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, we have an exclusive Savior. It's interesting. Uh, at least two of the churches uh, that have left the denomination in the last uh, uh, few months have started new churches out of the church. Their churches didn't vote. Excuse me, back up. Their churches voted not to leave the United Methodist Church. And so the people that left those churches and started a new church both named their churches Cornerstone because they wanted to identify that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And like Peter said, there is no other name by which to be saved except through Jesus Christ, God's Son, God's gift. Now, Jesus is the door. It's, a, it's not my opinion. <laughs> I'm just reading to you directly from the Word of God and the words of Jesus himself. Secondly, Jesus is the guard against evil. He, he's, he's the gate. He lays in the, in the doorway to keep out intruders. Not to keep sheep in or out, but to keep out intruders. Probably my all-time favorite verse in the Bible is found in this passage. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, when I became a believer as, at the age of 14, I had just begun work as a paper person. You know, I have to say that now because I've got to be politically correct. But actually, I was a paper boy. But, you know, but anyway, you would say paper person three times really fast. That's really hard to say. Uh, but I would pass papers, right? I would deliver papers, and, and now I get my paper online, so it's pretty cool. But I remember uh, on Sunday mornings, there would be two stacks of papers. One was the addition, and the second stack was the ads. And the paper person, me, the paper boy, had to put the ads into the newspaper. And I was always, you know, you'd try to do this and, and get it done quickly, but I would always notice that on the ad page in those years, and even today I would challenge you to go look at this, that every time there was an ad for a clock or a watch, and this is before digital clocks and watches. These were the, the hands of the clock and the watch. Was always set on 1010. And just t check me out on that. I don't, know, I don't know what marketing guru in New York City had the idea that in advertising, clocks and watches make them say 1010. But every time I saw 1010, I remembered this verse. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come to give them life and life abundant. It became my theme verse. It's my theme verse uh, for my whole life. And to, even today, whenever my microwave says 1010, I'm thinking, all right, Jesus, you came to give me life. Thank you for the life. Help me watch out for the evil one because I know he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy my, my phone, 1010. I mean, I, I love it. You know, hey, it's 1010. I'm going to claim that promise, 1010, John 1010. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a huge verse. Who is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy? I believe there's two things going on here. One is I, I think in the context of John chapter 10, we got to go back to John chapter 9. 
It's, it's the, and in John 9, we have the story of the healing of the man born blind. Uh, the man born blind. Probably the greatest miracle in the Bible. How do I know that? Because years ago, I was getting ready to have uh, LASIK surgery, and Dr. Milney, who was the surgeon, knew I was a pastor, and he says, you know what the greatest miracle in the Bible is? It's when Jesus healed the man born blind. Because when Jesus healed the man born blind, he had to heal a bunch of stuff. He had to heal, heal, heal his mind because the, 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 guy, the, the man's mind had never seen before. He, he had to heal his equilibrium because the man did not know how things went. He said he had to heal a bunch of stuff. He says, it's the greatest miracle that Jesus ever did. Then he said, can I pray with you before I operate on you? I said, you bet you can, because I want you to do your best work ever on my eyes. Um, so Jesus does this miracle. And, and then if you read the story, the, 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 the religious authorities and the leaders are trying to steal this man's miracle. They're trying to steal this man's joy. They're trying to discredit Jesus who healed his eyes. The greatest miracle in the, in the Bible, they're trying to discredit it. They're trying to steal God's work. And I love how the man responded to these uh, religious authorities in John 9 and verse 24. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been born blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I love this response. Verse 25, the man said, born blind, who had been healed, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. You say whatever you want to say about him, I know that I can see. Somebody say amen to that. You say what you want about Jesus, but he changed my life. He took away my guilt. He made my life different. You can say what you want about him, but for, for me, he is the Son of God. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Say what you want. That's who he is. That's who he says he is. And then they say in verse 26, but what did he do? They asked. How did he heal you? In verse 27, look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And then they cursed him. They cursed him because he invited them to know Jesus, the door, the way. And so Jesus is referring back to these thieves and robbers who are trying to steal this man's joy. And there are thieves and robbers in this world who will try to steal your joy and try to tell you that God is not real and God's work is not happening in your life. Don't believe a word of it. Now, what's the ultimate source of being a thief and a robber? I believe it's the father of all lies. I believe it's the devil himself. John 8, 44, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things. He does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. Why is truth being questioned today? Why is absolute truth being questioned today? Because he has always hated the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he is consistent. It is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus guards us against evil. Why? Because the devil is a taker, and our God is a maker. The devil is a taker, 
Now, I was mystified by that phrase, and so I did a, a Google search on it. God, the devil is a taker. I said, i got to find something else about that phrase. The devil is a taker. And you'll never believe, well, maybe you will. Maybe somebody in this room knows this. The, Pope, the people next door would not know this, but maybe because of your uh, being contemporaries of me and music in the 70s and 80s, you might know this. But what popped up for me was the lyrics, the devil is never a maker, the devil is always a taker. You know, who's, you know, who's, you know who wrote those words? The band Black Sabbath. I would have never guessed that, right? I would have never guessed that the band Black Sabbath would be calling the devil out for what he is. He is a taker, and God is a maker. The devil is a promise breaker, but God is a promise maker. Somebody say amen to that. The devil will break his promise with you. He'll make you all kinds of promises, but he'll break them every single time. God is a promise keeper. There is no badness in God, and there is no goodness in the devil. I want to be clear about this. Evil isn't something. Evil is someone. When you see evil being manifested, there is an architect. There is someone behind that evil, and we call him Satan. I read this, uh, saw this quote yesterday. I had to, to include it in my talk. I wrote it in this morning. A.W. Tozer said, The only safe place for sheep is by the side of the shepherd because the devil does not fear sheep. He only fears the shepherd. I want to hang out by the door. That's where it's safe, by the door. You know, it goes on to say that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does the devil come to steal? The devil comes to steal our purpose, comes to steal our peace, comes to steal our place in the kingdom of God. The devil wants to steal your purpose while you're here. Every one of you in this room or listening online, God has a purpose for you. And, and, and Satan wants to steal and disrupt your purpose. He wants to get you off track. One day you and I will stand before God and he will say, what did you do with your purpose? I put you on the earth for a reason. What did you do with it? Your time, your talent, your treasure. The devil will try to steal that from you, your peace, your place, and he will kill us. How does he try to kill us? I just picked out three. There's many. I picked out these three because they all start with S. He will try to kill us with stress, sickness, and stupidity. I can't believe they did that. What were they thinking? You know, I, I guess I can share this. I wasn't in the notes, but I'll never forget. There was a person years ago that, were, that was uh, attending church, and I just had a bad feeling about this person and didn't have a good, a good sense. And uh, so much that I told my wife, watch out for this person. And uh, very outgoing, very friendly. And uh, so one Sunday morning, they walked in with uh, a woman on their arm, and they said, hey, this is my new wife. I go, okay. I felt better for my wife. That was good. But anyway, I said, uh, but, you know, something seemed kind of odd about that. And so it went about a couple weeks later. Uh, they were in my office, 
And the new wife was in tears, crying. And I said, what's going on? Well, she explained to me that they had just got married and uh, that uh, she had a son and that now her new husband was telling her that she had to send her son to live with his dad. And she was heartbroken. And so I asked her, said, so this is your second marriage? She said, yes, my second marriage. And I asked this person, because I didn't know, I said, how many times have you been married? And without blinking an eye, he said, this is my eighth marriage. And without thinking, <laughs> I said, what were you thinking? <laughs> what, 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 what were you thinking? You know? And then I thought, maybe I should have said that. I don't know. But, uh, um, but the, the evil one wants to steal and kill us with stress and sickness and just stupidity. And we, we, we all are prone to that, are we not? We are prone to stress. We all get sick, and we all can be stupid sometimes. The devil is at work to steal, kill, and destroy. And what does destroy mean? It means he's going to try to use those things to destroy us for eternity. That's his, that's his end game. What is the end game of Satan? Is to take away your eternity. Is to separate you from Almighty God for eternity. To destroy you ultimately in eternity. So Jesus says, be, be on guard. I am, I am the guard. I am the gate. I am the door. He's warning his believers to watch out for the wolves in sheep's clothing that will come. Peter writes about it shortly after Jesus made these statements, after Jesus preached this sermon. Just a few years later, uh, well, actually, Paul writes this. Paul, the new disciple, follower of Jesus, he met on the Damascus Road. In Acts 20, Paul says, So guard yourself and God's people. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. So guard yourself and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care for you night and day, and my many tears for you. Watch out. If you fast forward to the book of Revelation, and we're in a study on Revelation, and you read about the church at Ephesus, this is the church that Paul was warning to watch out. And by Revelation 3, they, they, they have lost their first love. They have not paid attention. And false leaders have risen up within that church. And, and, and all the seven churches, or most of the seven churches in Revelation were impacted by false teaching. And today the church is being bombarded with false teaching. And we've got to be able to be on guard. And part of a role of a pastor, a shepherd, is to make sure that we tell the truth about God's Word and what God's Word clearly says without any hesitation, without any reservation. You know, I read something this week uh, about how the devil attacks. You know, the, the thieves usually don't come through the front door. We know that, right? In fact, in fact uh, I think it was just last week, and... Uh, we had somebody try to break in the church 
in the very back door, the most remote door by the chapel. And I got a call, I don't know, 10, after 10 sometime, uh, and someone was trying to break in the door. And thank goodness, part of our Gethsemane team, and I think those people are here this morning, uh, they were, they were parole, patrolling the outside of the church uh, as they do to make sure all the doors are locked. And they came across the back door up there that was already open. And then they saw somebody speed off uh, and, and no one was able to enter the church, which was good news. And nobody got hurt, which is even better news. But that's how the evil one works. He comes through the back door. Now, how many of you got one of those door cam camera things on your front door? I got one, and that's great, you know, but I realize we never come through the front door. And I realize, and Lynn was here this morning in the 9 o'clock, and we don't have a door camera on the back door. I'm guessing after my sermon today, we're going to be getting one of those too, right? Uh, because that's where we're most vulnerable at, right? The, the back door is where we're the most vulnerable, or the side door, uh, not often the front door. Uh, that's how the evil one works. I, I also read something this week that just totally captured my attention a couple weeks ago, um, how, how subtle the devil tries to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the subtle ways I was reading by an article by Daniel McCoy, a professor of philosophy, he talks about how, how the devil, evil, tries to subvert values. And, and he called it the transvaluation of all values. Well, what does he mean by that? is that we've taken the values that you and I hold dear as Christians and have been distorted. For example, objective truth has been distorted to be a fantasy created by powerful people to maintain power. Biblical morality, a set of outdated, repressive, and destructive instructions. Monogamous marriage, an institution which domesticates women as property. Chastity, an unrealistic, harmful, and bland restriction of sexuality which benefits domineering heterosexual men, Christian evangelism and missions, a form of spiritual imperialism, the sanctity of human life, a way for religious people to colonize women's bodies, the devaluation of values, a very subtle way to steal, kill, and destroy. When we devalue God, we elevate idols in the culture. You hear that, right? When we devalue God, we elevate idols in the culture. Daniel McCoy wrote this, objective truth, biblical reality, monogamous marriage, evangelism and missions, each of these help, provide, help people flourish in countless ways, yet each one of them in modern Western culture are being labeled as poison. The devil comes to steal, kill, and ultimately destroy. But Jesus is a source of abundant life. Aren't you glad? Thanks be to God. Jesus is a source of abundant life. The word abundant is the Greek word peros, which means to have exceedingly or have in superabundance. God wants to give you a superabundance of his presence in your life. Uh, it's the same word that's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, when Paul writes this from the message paraphrase. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deep and gentle within us. The abundant life is a full and satisfying life. Living a life where we know we are sustained by God's presence, God's peace, God's provision, and God's perspective. To know we're on the right path. To know that our life is not pointless, 
but our life has purpose. There are millions of people today that feel like life is pointless. Why? Because the devil is stealing their purpose. There's a reason you're sitting here today. You think, well, it was my idea. I wanted to come to church today. No, it wasn't. It was God's idea. And God prompted you through the Holy Spirit to be here today. And, and it's, it's, it's not pointless. There's a purpose. You know, you, you and I aren't that good. You know, I, I wanted to stay home today, you know. And the alarm went off and it says, you got to get up. You got to go. I said, where are you going? I'm going to church. Okay, I guess I got to go. You know, it's, uh, it's never our original idea. It, it's God's idea for us to come and follow him. I love what Christian McCaffrey said, the running back for the 49ers, just before the Super Bowl. I listened to his testimony, and I wrote this down. He said this, faith means everything to me. My faith has gotten me where I am in life. Through all the ups and the downs, I rely on God. Anytime I'm having a tough day or a bad time in my life, I just get back into the Word. It's got all the answers. It's the most important thing in my life, and it's something that I know I'll always have to lean back on and make a priority. What is the abundant life? It's getting into the Word of God. It's getting God's perspective. It's, it's, it's getting God's purpose. It's finding God's peace. When I was working on this sermon, I was reading through Leviticus and... Uh, because that's what we do this time of year, right? We start our stuff in Genesis, and we work our way through the Bible in 2024. And Leviticus, I don't know, Leviticus. Anyway, but I read these words in Leviticus, and uh, I thought, wow, this is, this is the Old Testament idea of the abundant life. In, in, in chapter 26, verse 5, your crops will be so plentiful that you will still be harvesting grain when it's time to pick grapes. Somebody say amen to that. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be harvesting grain when it's time to pick grapes, and you'll still be picking grapes when it's time to plant grain again. You will have all that you want to eat, and you can live safely in your land. God wants you to have the safety that comes from his provision. Now, I'm not talking about materialism. I'm talking about the overwhelming peace of God that passes all understanding. Jesus is the source of abundant life. And in closing this morning, Jesus is a Savior waiting at your door. The metaphor, the door. Jesus is the door, but also he is the Savior that's waiting at your door. Revelation 3.20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I love this version. Pay attention. I'm standing at the door and knocking. If any of you hear my voice and open the door, then I will come in to visit with you and share a meal at your table, and you'll be with me. Revelation 3.20, another one of my favorite scripture passages, is depicted in this stained glass window here by Holman Hunt. It's a famous picture of Revelation 3.20 of Jesus knocking on the door. And what's unique about that painting, you already know this, many of you, is what's unique about that painting and that door is there's no doorknob because Jesus will not open the door of your heart. Only you can open the door of your heart. He is knocking on the door. He will not knock, his, he will not knock the door down. You may feel like it sometimes, but he's not going to knock the door down. And one day, you're not going to hear him knocking because you've ignored it so long 
It's become just another noise in your life. Jesus said in John 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, Jesus warned us about the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But if you fast forward into Revelation 16, John the Revelator writes this, Jesus speaking, See, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the person who watches and waits, dressed and ready to go, so as not to wander about naked, exposed to disgrace. Friends, one day the knocking will stop, and for the unprepared, Jesus will return unexpectedly. But for those who believe, those who have opened the door of their hearts, it will not be a surprise, but a celebration. So the question I have for you, has the devil got you chasing a better deal? Has the devil got you chasing a better door? And while you're chasing all the wrong things, he's slowly stealing your life. He's stealing your joy. He's stealing your peace. He's stealing your purpose. He's making promises he won't keep, and he's writing checks he can't cash. If you keep chasing a better door and a better deal, he will win. He will win, and his intent is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give you life and life abundant. You know, I love how Revelation 3.20 says, he says, if you open the door, I will come in to sup with you, to have supper with you, I want to hear about your day. I want to hear about your troubles. I want to hear about your heartaches. I want to know your joys and know your plans. Jesus wants to share your life to make it better. The devil wants to lie to you to destroy you. You know the difference. Don't fall for his schemes. God always tells you the truth to make you better. The devil will always lie to you to make you worse. Jesus wants a relationship with you. There's an old, old song that uh, we've sung before. We're going to sing it here in just a minute. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to him? Time after time, he has waited before, and now he's waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in. If you'll take one step toward the Savior, you'll find his arms open wide. Receive him and all your darkness will end. And within your heart, he will abide. The Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the great I Am, is waiting, knocking on the door of your heart. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for sending Jesus into this world to be the door the gate, the way, the truth, the life. I thank you for all the men and women listening today, the young people today, all across this campus who have said yes. And I lift up those right now who are still listening to you knock. Maybe life has gotten so busy, chasing doors that seem to be better, a better deal, a better date a better place. Lord, may today we understand that those are lies straight from the pits of hell and that Jesus is the best way. That Jesus is the only way to find real life. So, Father, as we confess our sins to you, we invite you to come in into our hearts. 
right now. Come in, Lord Jesus. Come in, Lord Jesus, and show me how to live. Show me my purpose. Show me my path. Fill me with peace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to sing this song. And this altar is wide open for you to come and pray. I, I went at the age of 14 and felt the Lord knocking on my heart, and I went and gave my life to Jesus. You can do that today. You may want to come. We have people coming this morning praying for loved ones who they're praying that they'll hear the Lord Jesus knocking on the door of their hearts. I've got several I'm praying for right now that they will open the door of their heart to Jesus. Will you come? Will you pray? Let's sing together. The Savior is waiting. The Savior